Well, hello everyone. It's good to hear that theme again. Isn't it? Yeah, it uh, sounds inviting. Well, back on the air for the 2017 academic year, we have the Arts Report, and I'm Jake Clark, and I'm joined by the lovely Ashley Park. That's me. Yo, yo, yo. And we've got a lot of good stuff for you. We're, we're, we've got quite the kickoff here. We have some very nice interviews, actually. Mm-hmm. We have two interviews to go with, possibly a third. We'll see what's going on, because we're also doing the This Fringy Life podcast. That's right. If you haven't heard about it before, this is your chance to get acquainted with it. It is our (laughs) annual coverage of Fringe in a lovely curated format for you. We have a few shows that we go, hey, you know what? This show kind of, you know, works with this theme. Let's all put it together for your listening pleasure. Yeah, and we have, uh, right now, we have a couple interviews there with Swordplay and with uh, the Good good Game Good Game. The show's gung-ho. It's Good Game Gung-ho, which Mm -hmm. is sort of like one of those things, exercises you do to see if you can stutter or not. (laughs) I I used to stammer, so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, made a little bit of a taunt for me. But it does work. Uh So (laughs) we have that ready for you on the podcast. But today we also have some other fringe interviews, including Catherine Ferns. That's right, stand-up comedian. She has has a show called Catherine Ferns is in Stitches. And uh, based on the interview, it may have a a deeper meaning than what you might be uh, thinking of. We also have uh, Radhika Agarwal's uh, arrangement of shoes. A very, uh, it's actually a quite popular show. A lot, of the, uh, a lot of the shows have been sold out for that. Really interesting. And we have that interview as well. And just for a little bit of local flavor, what do we have for UBC? And we, we, well, for UBC, we have, <laughs> tripping over myself, we have a review of Night Shift, which mm-hmm. was the MOA's opening in a series of Thursday night get-togethers, which seem awesome, and it was awesome. Nice. More on that later. And we also have a, uh, a interview with members of UBC Slam Poetry. Mm-hmm. And we also, and for, I guess, I guess not really UBC, not UBC at all, but for your recommendation, we have, an in, we have a review of a show by Benjamin Booker, who is one of my favorites, and mm-hmm. he, is, uh, he played a show at the Biltmore recently, right. and Sounds it was great. a great show, and you'll hear more about that later. But uh, first, we're going to play the interview with Miss Ferns. Uh, just as we're listening, just let me do that here. How's your summer, Ashley? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm really happy to be back, of course. Love the Arts Report. Love telling people all these super cool stuff that they can, uh, of course, see here in Vancouver. Fringe is very popular, really good for people to go to. It's until the 17th, so there's still a lot of time. And with this interview with Catherine, I think people might be super inclined to go see our show. It's going to be really interesting. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Hi there, everyone. Welcome back to the Arts Report. My name is Ashley Park, and I'm actually with a very special guest today. Her name is Catherine Burns. Could you tell us more about yourself to our listeners? Hello, uh, I'm Catherine. I was born in Toronto, but I grew up in Alberta in a very small town. So I have a Vancouver Fringe show about events that happened in that very, very small town. And it's playing at Performance Works, which is a really big venue. So I'm, I'm really excited mm. to be back in Vancouver. Uh, I actually started stand-up here in 2012. So it's kind of like my homecoming. Hmm. And is this the first time you are actually part of Vancouver Fringe? Or can you tell us more on how you got your show to where it is now. So this is my first time doing the Vancouver Fringe. Welcome. Um, But I've done other fringes. So this show was a work in progress at the Brighton Fringe. 
the, let me see, the Manchester Fringe, the Leicester Comedy Festival, the Glasgow International Comedy Festival, and Edinburgh Fringe. Wow. So I've, I've worked on it for probably about a year and a half, mm -hmm. and now it's the final product. So I, I took the final show to Edinburgh all of August, so mm -hmm. I did it every single day for 25 days, and then flew all the way over here to Vancouver, and... Uh, I'm I'm excited to have, this is I guess my Canadian debut of yeah, the show. Yeah, I, I I hear you about Edinburgh. I heard that you know what you said that you guys do one show after the other after the other. How was that experience like? Um, I've done Edinburgh about four times, wow. and oh, every Edinburgh. time at the end, you're just a broken soul, oh, where, no. where you just think, I'm never doing this again, and then a month later, I guess it's like childbirth, you, like, you forget what uh -huh. happened, you're like, no, I want to do another show, I want another baby, <laughs> and then you sign up, and uh, it, it is an addictive month. It's kind of like summer camp, which mm -hmm. I tried to explain to UK comics because they don't have summer camp. They don't? They don't. They don't <laughs> go camping. They under, they don't understand mm -hmm. uh, Canadian lifestyles where I'm like, yes, we, we go and sit in tents in the middle of the forest and hope we don't get eaten by bears. And they're like, <laughs> they say, how is that fun? But, um, but it, it's like all the comedians from all over the UK come to Edinburgh and we're all sort of smashed together doing shows every single day. So there's shows that start at 10 a.m. and then there's shows that go all the way until 3 a.m. So it's constant, wow. nonstop. It's yeah. like a marathon. It is. And I did my show um, at 1.30 in the afternoon, and mm -hmm. then I also hosted a compilation show of international artists at 5.15, but then I was also doing, like, the Canadian Showcase and spots mm -hmm. and other shows. So you're just constantly nonstop doing wow. doing shows. So it's, it's a really great training ground, which is why mm -hmm. I decided to move to the UK three years ago, just to get so much stage time to get better faster. Mm -hmm. But the show, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's polished, it's ready after doing that every day for, course, for a whole month. And then, uh, and then I realized as I was flying over to Vancouver, oh, I haven't changed any of my show for Canadian <laughs> audiences because there's so many references that are British that I didn't realize yep. that Canadian audiences may not pick up on. So I was furiously writing on the plane <laughs> going, okay, what's the, what's the, you know, Canadian equivalent of Nigel Farage? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> wait, wait, what was the reference you're talking about? Nigel? Nigel Farage. He was um, the head of UKIP mm -hmm. who sort of, uh, I guess, was instigated the Brexit vote oh, to happen and was um, incredibly uh, critical of Syrian refugees. And so I was, mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out what's the Canadian equivalent of someone who hates immigrants and mm -hmm. I and the last time I lived in in Canada Stephen Hyper was the prime minister and, yeah. I, and I think that's too old a reference now so yeah no no we got that yeah. Trudeau kid now yeah yeah so were, were you able to find a reference um I just changed everything to Trump uh, um yep. I figure yep. that's it that's just uh, that's everyone understands <laughs> <laughs> so you are talking about the evolution of your show so mm -hmm. in this new show that you'll be a that you already actually started. Uh, mm -hmm. Next two shows are, I believe, Saturday and Sunday. Is that right? Yes. So I'm at Performance Works Saturday at 8.20 mm -hmm. and then Sunday at 5.20. Um, it's so weird that shows are... times are everywhere. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah. Best to uh, let you guys know, if you are thinking of catching Catherine's show, please check the times on yeah. Fringe's website. They do have a lot of different times for a lot of their shows, so none of the times are as consistent as... Uh, they can be so yep. always check your times 
Okay, so I've checked again. So I'm at Performance Works uh, Saturday the 16th at 8.20, mm-hmm. and then Sunday is the last show at 3.50. So mm-hmm. um, An evening show and a matinee. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's interesting, you know, how the, the crowd may change in an afternoon or an mm-hmm. evening show. Although Canadian audiences, audiences are, are usually very polite. Are we kind of like, wonderful. Yeah, you're a little more reserved than British audiences. Maybe it's just because they drink more and oh boy. <laughs> or they lack empathy and they'll just laugh at everything. Mm-hmm. But um but no, no, the the reception has been really good. I've I've gotten a lot of really great reviews mm-hmm. and and lots of support. So, um it's going well so far. But yeah, only two more shows. Oh yeah. Two more what shows. are the topics that you decided to kind of uh kind of really shed your insight on well when i started writing the show a year and a half ago uh it was called faking it okay which was a show i started writing about lying and betrayal mm. um, you know fun topics for a comedy show very relatable topics <laughs> yes yes exactly so then uh, april 21st 2016 happened which was the day that prince passed away yeah and on that same day i had a medical scare oh no and I realized, you know, there's a possibility that I could die in the next couple months. Mm-hmm. And I decided to throw up my old show and write a new show about everything in my life that uh, I needed to, I guess, get out of my head. Mm-hmm. And so my, my show starts, I guess, discussing a lot of horrible things that happen in Alberta in this very small town, mm-hmm. including my experiences with domestic violence, mm-hmm. mental illness, and drug addiction. And then I have some feminism for comic relief. So uh, there's a little bit for everyone. (laughs) For comic relief. (laughs) Um, And and I I have to remind people, it is a comedy show. So Mm -hmm. I've I've decided to use comedy as a way to talk about things that have given me a lot of anxiety to dismantle them and make them accessible for audiences to understand how humor, I guess, is is the best medicine sometimes. but it, it's a very dark storytelling show, but mm-hmm. there's a hopeful end of how I've used comedy to reclaim my, my voice and reclaim my life. Of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. Especially for like female stand-up comics. That's like the entire stage reclaiming. I think that's mm-hmm. a really strong statement that you're doing just mm-hmm. by even being there, your presence being there. I know, and it shouldn't be because, mm-hmm. I mean, we're... 51% of the population of Earth or something yeah. like that. I don't know <laughs> if right. my numbers aren't right, but, but we're... We're a majority, you know, technically. I mean, we're, okay, so we're half of the population. Yeah. Why is it so unusual that a woman will go on stage Mm -hmm. and make jokes? It shouldn't be an unusual thing, but every show I do, there's usually one, maybe two female Mm -hmm. comedians on the bill. So I think we just need to recruit more people that want to have their voice heard Mm -hmm. so that it's not an unusual thing where oh my gosh, there's a woman on stage talking about (laughs) things that, you know, a man will talk about. Because our experiences are valid and our experiences are shared by half of the population. So Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be unusual that I'm talking about domestic violence because it's something that happens a lot and we don't talk about it. So the more that we talk about it, we realize that it is a huge problem that we need to deal with. Mm -hmm. So... um, I'm I'm hoping that I haven't scared people away from this show. No way, but no way. I'm I'm actually more interested. I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are interested mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. So this kind of like darkness that you're talking about, like where how do you find humor in that? To be honest, what inspires yeah. your humor? Um, th- that's yeah. I've been asked that before, and 
and I've tried to figure out even even when I was in the hospital after yep. my uh, my injuries, and I had several surgeries. Um, I was still joking with nurses, yep. and I think that was my way of fighting back against what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't going to, I guess, over, overpower who I was. That yeah. through comedy, it, it is a combative thing. Like. I remember when I was uh, studying here at UBC, I did take some philosophy classes, right? So um, I remember they said that humor is a way to be playful with systems of power, Mm. that in themselves, those systems of power are never playful. So comedy is a way to dismantle those systems that can't respond with humor because in themselves, they are sinister Mm -hmm. and and I think that's how I'm using comedy to dismantle our ideas of of how women talk about their own stories mm-hmm. and how we view violence in society and how we, we view the justice system. Like, there's so many ridiculous things that happen mm-hmm. that I'm taking a look at them going, look at the big picture. This is ridiculous, and we need to talk about it mm-hmm. and fix it. And through comedy, people can l- laugh about I guess not laughing at my experience, but using humor as a way to dismantle those anxieties so you can open up a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that it makes them more responsive to the information than just giving like a straight on lecture? I think so. I think so. I think when people are sitting in a room together laughing, that forms a community Mm -hmm. and and kind of breaks down the barriers between people because we we all I know we all laugh at horrible things that's yeah, how we do. get through life yeah you know yeah then if you don't mind me asking like were you a you know member of like a like are you a member of like a comedic troupe like how did you get into comedy uh, i started uh comedy in vancouver uh mm-hmm. i was actually i i uh, i dropped out of ubc i'm so sorry no, that's okay. um, and uh i i moved to emily carr so mm-hmm. i i studied fine arts there and i you was mean a painter you transferred i transferred <laughs> that's right sorry i didn't drop out um uh, i loved ubc it was a wonderful experience but uh i wanted my own uh studio and i wanted to study at emily carr of course. and um i was i was painting all day while also listening to podcasts so i was always a comedy fan mm-hmm. i was painting very depressing paintings while <laughs> laughing hysterically i think everyone thought i was was crazy uh-huh. um and then i started going to comedy shows as just a like an audience member and mm-hmm. and i always had stage fright so i never thought i would ever go on stage but i started writing jokes in the back of my mind like what would i say if i was on stage yep. and then i got a little drunk and uh <laughs> i told one of my jokes to my comedian friend and he said oh that's a really great joke i want to put that in my act Knowing that I was competitive, yep. I was possessive of my joke. Yep. He knew it would it would make me mad. So <laughs> I said, "No, that's my joke. You can't have it." And he said, "All right, if you want to keep your joke, you need to go on stage and say it." Oh wow, he kind of challenged you up there, didn't he? Oh yeah. So he he double dared me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so you can't back down from a double dare. No, you can't. You can't. And uh, I had one week to write five minutes of jokes with mm-hmm. that joke in it, and I was booked on an open mic downtown in Vancouver. Wow. And I was. I was panicking, but you know, you should make all your life decisions based on a dare, right? So <laughs> That's right. Um, I went on stage, uh, I did my five minutes, and then afterwards I apologized to the host. I said, I'm so sorry, this was a dare, I'll never do this again. Uh-huh. And he said, no, actually it was great, you should come back in two weeks. Oh, wow. And then I started doing four or five gigs yeah. a week while studying for my finals at Emily Carr. <laughs> I'm thinking, what have I done?
That seems like a wise idea. Well, based based on her anecdote, I think that this this will be a pretty fun show. I am yeah, actually looking really forward to seeing that. Oh, oh, no, no. She is such a character. She's really, really mm-hmm. funny. If you guys want to hear more of that interview, really entertaining stuff and also really insightful stuff that uh, Catherine shares with us, we will be having a podcast. We'll be sharing it on our, on our social media. Look forward to it. Look forward to the full interview. And if we want to talk about somewhat more lighter comic fare, we did. We actually did see a show. Yeah, we did, recently. didn't we? Was we, we saw it simultaneously, but we were not together. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we saw was, it was Hip Bang was the group, and the show was... Finn. Finn. F-I-N. I didn't know if they were talking about a fish fin or the French word for finish, or if it's mm-hmm. like the end of Sharknado, where it's a really bad double entendre for both. Was yeah. The, it, was, it was a fish fin. I know. I remember that was that. Day. It was, um... Would you say it was about semi-scripted? The show was a semi-improv. Yeah, I would say it was a structured form of improvisation. Mm-hmm. We saw that show on Sunday. That was uh, last Sunday, September the 10th. It was at nighttime, around 9.30. First time for center. me at the Improv Center. Have you been there before? Yeah, I have. Uh, with the Shakespeare and Cervantes colloquium was there last year, mm-hmm. and there was an, an improv show I saw. I think it was Theater Sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Theater Sports are there regularly. That's yeah, right. they were there. They had a show after afterwards, too. Yeah, so what did you think about hip, period, bang, exclamation point? Ah, Ah, that's how it's spelled. Okay. That's actually uh, how it's spelled, people. I, I, um, so I liked what they were doing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about it's got much, about as much plot as, um, if anyone here has seen the movie Brain Candy, the Kids in the Hall movie, it's got about as much plot as that. There is a follow line, mm-hmm. and there is a series of sketches that mm-hmm. sort of amount to it. Uh, like Brain Candy, the follow line, follow line is not very strong. Mm-hmm. It's a 50-minute show that, if it was 60 minutes, would probably have a lot more I do cohesion. have to agree with you. We really, really enjoyed what we saw. But mm-hmm. because I think the time constraint, it happened a little too fast. Yeah. And maybe we, mixed, like, we missed a climactic point. Yeah. Un- unlike Brain Candy, though, I-, I will say this. Brain Candy is something that had a lot of these constraints with the th- even though the- that had constraints with the middle of the through line. Mm-hmm. This was fine. It just picked up a little later. Like there seemed like there was an introductory scene that might yeah. be missing to tie it together. Mm-hmm. And but the sketches were are funny. Yeah. They're generally good prop comedy. That's right. I would say that um, if you're interested in kind of what the, the loose plot is, it's about a small town. And they are running, and they have a uh, election for a new mayor. Well, basically the first mayor, he's talking, but then some guys like, we don't want that. We want, you know, this mm-hmm. thing for these group of people because their voices aren't being heard. Yeah. And he gets elected new mayor. And that is one little storyline. There's also a storyline with, like, a farmer. Yeah, the narrator sort of is a uh, very folksy kind of farmer. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, look at that sun coming up. What a nice yep. sun kind of way, you know. Who uh, also showed up in Good Game a little bit. A similar, there's a similar sketch in Good Game, mm-hmm. but Good Game has no plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there, really. Well, somewhat here, but not really there. Anyways, in, in regards to this show, uh, you were right. They used a lot of like very funny props. Uh, there was a lot of like yeah. imitation of animals. They use uh, yeah to, to milk the cow to do a cow's <laughs> udder. It's two guys doing this entire thing. So yeah, one guy's the cow, the guy the guy's a farmer, and uh, they use a rubber glove. Mm-hmm. Full of milk for his uh, <laughs> for his um, milking, 
And you can kind of imagine how that goes. The, yeah, the awkward uh, laughter that goes into full-blown, like, raucous laughter always makes me laugh, too. It always starts with a little, like, ha-ha-ha-ha, like one person chuckling, and then everyone just starts, like, adding on the laughter. I, can, I very, very seldom get to raucous laughter. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to raucous laughter during the show, but that's not uncommon. Like, I've seen, when I, I saw Bo Burnham live once, yeah. which was an amazing comedy show, but I never laughed, ha-ha-ha-ha-ha, <laughs> once. That, that, that. <laughs> That happens very rarely for me. Are you more of a chuckler? I'm a chuckler. I like to chuckle, too. I will often chuckle a lot, and I will often continue to chuckle after the joke is done, which Mm -hmm. seems creepy. I think people (laughs) beside me noticed me doing that a couple times. I did that a couple times. I meant meant to sit next to you, but I couldn't. I came in late. I was one of the people by the door. And if you go see that show, it will be a reference. You're probably looking like, yeah, yeah, that was. That's right. Yeah. You're probably looking over like, who's that creepy guy chuckling after the joke is done? <laughs> no, not at all. But overall, we really did enjoy it. I love the – they had this, like, one sketch in which it is very much, like, what you expect improv to be. They take suggestions from the audience. I won't spoil on what it is, but it was quite funny. Yeah. And they do a lot of references back to uh, previous skits that they do within the full uh, set. Mm-hmm. That makes it even funnier, too. Lots of referential humor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, it's, 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 it's a fringe show. It's worth fringe show. Why can I not enunciate that? It's That's okay. If, if you like improv, if you like to see what it looks like when people put a plot to what is essentially an improv show, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's it's fun. And I think they mentioned that it is a choose your own adventure. So based on how you react, it can change. Oh yeah, every, that's right. Yeah, it can change every single time they perform it. I couldn't personally tell where the cues were for no, the storyline to change, but maybe that's how they do it. Maybe they do it so seamlessly that we can't even tell. Maybe you got to see a couple shows. Yeah, you well, got to go see it. Anyways, marketing. that was a hip. Period. Bang! Exclamation point. Their show Finn. Please do check it out on Vancouver Fringe if you are interested. Yeah, I uh, and I would like to before. Drat. That's okay. Sorry, I forgot where the microphone was for a second. It yeah. happens. Back to school blues kind of thing. Yeah. But back to station. Well, that's sadness. why we're here for you to provide a name commentary. <laughs> Just if you listen to us while while studying. I mean, I, that that could be a double edged sword, but. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will continue to provide this in end commentary, but first, a word from our sponsor. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite joke you got to write for that piece? You don't have to tell us because I, I want everyone to go actually see your show. Uh, uh, but you can't, and you don't really have to explain it because, yeah. you know, if you explain a joke, it's not funny. No, but a little exactly. teaser. Um, LGBTQ2I Night is a positive space for folks to learn about bike maintenance in a relaxed environment led by queer mechanics and volunteers. It takes place on the fourth Wednesday of every month at the Bike Kitchen on UBC's campus. Bring your own bike and fix them with our tools, come with questions and ask away, or learn by watching other folks work on their bikes. Beginners are always welcome. This event is entirely free to attend and there will be free pizza. For more information, visit bikecoop.ca. My name is David Scott. I play wide receiver for the University of British Columbia football team, and I'm here to discuss the Be More Than a Bystander program. Myself and a few other players were lucky enough to work alongside the BC Lions and EVA, the Ending Violence Association, to support this cause. The main goal of the Be More Than a Bystander initiative is to increase awareness of domestic violence against women. For more information on the cause, please visit endingviolence.org.
Well, we're back. Welcome back. Arts and Report, 101.9 FM. And we shall vanish back into ether in just a couple seconds because I want to in, just want to introduce an interview we had with UBC Slam. UBC Slam? Which is not the boxing club, as I learned before this interview, which explains the questions somewhat. Um, this is, in fact, the UBC Slam Poetry Society Collective group they explained in there. And they have a they had a little get together last Wednesday, and it was a lot of fun. And we will tell you all about it right here. All right, now here we go. This is CITR one one point nine FM, broadcasting from the unceded territory of the Musqueam people on UBC campus. Uh, my name is Jake Clark, and we're here for the first episode of the Arts Report in the 2017 academic year. And I have the great privilege to be joined by four members of UBC's Slam Poetry. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that the name of it? UBC Slam, or is it is it a club? Is it a society? UBC Slam Poetry, yeah, or club. the UBC Slam Poetry Club. Yeah, we're a club. Excellent. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself for the benefit of our listeners? Yeah, let's go in a circle. You start. Uh, I'm Victoria. I'm the year's treasurer. I do math stuff. <laughs> um, my name is Mariah, so I'm the president of UBC Slam this year. Um, I'm Angelica. I do external stuff. I'm Jamie. I communicate with the people in our club and learn what they want from us yeah. and hopefully make it happen. <laughs> uh, that's excellent. And uh, so I, I'm going to start out with a very basic question for you. What is your favorite thing about slam poetry? What draws you to it? Mm, big questions. <laughs> Very big questions. Should I have started smaller? No, this is great. Can I take a whack at that one? Yeah. Okay. This is Mariah. Um, <laughs> my favorite thing about slam poetry, specifically UBC slam poetry, is uh, that you can do anything that you want and everyone will love it and nobody will judge you for it. It's very welcoming. You can do any topic. You can do rap, rhymey. You can do something slow and lyrical or more essay-like and we're really open to anything and you can always find someone else that's interested in the same stuff as you. Mm-hmm. It's also a very high energy club, I feel like. <laughs> Slams can get very rowdy. <laughs> it's all the bagels and beer that we eat. Yeah. <laughs> ah, and uh, actually, I probably should have mentioned that earlier. Uh, speaking of bagels and beer, where are the slams held? Benny's Bagels on West Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really great place and cheap bagels and cheap beer and obviously lovely poetry. So <laughs> it's the best part. No, it's, I'm, and before we're really interrupted. Half of us had answered our favorite things about Slam. It leaves you, the two of you. Oh. Um, I guess my favorite thing about Slam is the people. I just love it when so many people get to come out and you get to see so many new faces and learn kind of what it's like for people to express themselves, regardless of what area they're in. People that do Slam poetry aren't just in the arts. And we've met a lot of science students and um, forestry students and just a lot of great people that are learning to use words as a way to just, I don't know, connect with people in so many different areas of the school. Totally. Kind of on Jamie's note, I feel like uh, slam poetry in this club at UBC is like specifically a really good campfire feel you know like it's totally great like intimate emotional catharsis and you go and you hang out with people you eat bagels you listen to people talk about dark stuff in their lives weird stuff in their lives um and it's just a bunch of people coming together to make art and that's pretty beautiful 
there's yeah. so there's a definite sense of community with totally. Slam. Totally. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel that. Yeah. Now, would you say with people of many different uh, disciplines across the sciences, forestry, would you say that there's a correlation between the material that they present, or it just you see some strange stuff across the board? I'm gonna say across the board. <laughs> I've, definitely, I've heard art students do like sexy math love poems. You? No, really? I do sexy coconut milk poems. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now that that I can see. But yeah. um. Yeah. But no, um, yeah, no. Anyone from anywhere can write anything. That's really how I see it. Yeah, I definitely like agree. Stars. I definitely agree. Um, one of our execs is well, we're mostly art students, but one of our execs is a cog student and uh, cognitive sciences, and he's got some of the most rhythmic, traditional, slammy stuff. And uh, then we have people from other places, and some of the most scientific poems come from art students so yeah I think one time we had someone literally read their textbook I was, <laughs> like they had like I have this really cool textbook that's really fun and I'm gonna read that aloud as a slam poem and they, they literally just did a textbook as a poem and they were an art student and they were not a student so there you go <laughs> now in following this like with what's presented is there any specific uh, poem or poet that you guys think of as very endemic of slam if you were to introduce someone to slam poetry through one recording or one written poem what would it be Ooh. well i feel like the quintessential outside of a textbook of course of course of course <laughs> uh textbooks are great for poetry. damn it shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> um i feel like the quintessential slam poem um I would not recommend that people go there. That's exactly what I was going to say. I would recommend going into, like, the nitty-gritty, weird, dark corners of slam poetry where people don't even refer to it as slam poetry. They just call it spoken word, like the... Like, I'm talking, like, Listen to Beauty Babo by R.C. Wislowski, um, and then sing along with me when you listen to the show again. You gotta get the key to put the hoe back in Jehovah. Best poem. Okay, <laughs> so she's line. part of an interesting I cult. The word uh, beauty Babo. Like eighteen times in a row. Yeah, it's, it's just like you are beauty Babo. It's just it's just perfect. It's a beautiful poem. Uh, poems that go viral. I personally feel like I know better poets than the poems that you would Ooh, see throw down. on uh, <laughs> on poetry with a million. Just teasing. Views. I think that um, if I were going to show one person what slam poetry was through one video I don't think I would go to the big hits so most of you probably know Shane Koizan or Sarah Kay or Rudy Francisco or the big uh, the big wigs um, I don't think that I would choose them as the first poem to show somebody because I think that can really introduce a box of what slam poetry should look like and what UBC slam really stands for is breaking down the box and doing things that are outside of the more traditional known ways of slam so origami of the cardboard uh, yeah I would probably show them one of one of I don't know, one of our poems, one of the poems from <laughs> Vancouver <laughs> Slam. Well, we really try to break the barrier, so. of all the poets ever. <laughs> well, so that sounds very enticing, mashup of all the poets ever. Now, if you check out the full interview, which this is, that's only a segment of it. We mm-hmm. have a very generous interview there. You will get to hear not one, but two of their poems. Awesome. and th- this Including is... the sexy coconut milk poem. Really? That's actually a real poem? Yes, it is. Wonderful. Why wouldn't it be? Why, You're right. Why wouldn't it be? That, that, that sounds awesome. It kind of was. Uh, so that is 
on next Wednesday at 7. They're on every other Wednesday mm -hmm. at 7. They also, as they mentioned in the interview, they have a poetry writing workshop on the following Monday after every mm -hmm. slam on campus. So, so they slam on campus. Where do they slam? No, they don't slam on campus. It's oh, okay. Benny's Bagels in Kitsilano, which is fortunately walking distance from my house. Oh, great. So they slam For at Benny's Bagels. And it's every Wednesday at 7. Yep. Uh, it starts around around 7. All right. All right. That's, gotcha. that's a good time. That it, You know, it's it's very very poetical to have mm -hmm. some grasp of time. And uh, before we uh, go into our next interview, we have a next interview with uh, Radhika Agarwal. Am I, mm -hmm. Agarwal? Right. Am I saying that correctly? Yep. Uh, I just, we just want to talk about some uh, some other things. We want to take, change up a bit because I saw a movie called Blood Honey recently. Mm. This is totally not tangential. I, I like blood and honey. I usually like both inside me. Blood inside me, like in my veins, so they're not coming out of my body. And I also like honey because honey is delicious. This went a very strange way very fast. Only if you're thinking it that way. Let's talk about Blood Honey. So Blood Honey is a film uh, directed by Jeff Kopas and written by Jeff Kopas and Doug Taylor. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jeff Kopas, this is his second film. Mm -hmm. His uh, his first film was The Insignificant Harvey, which he also wrote. Mm -hmm. And uh, he uh, I, or, or he said that was the first. I, I spoke to him mm -hmm. at length about it. And... What is Blood Honey about? So Blood Honey's a thriller, okay. and he said he was at the screening, which is how I know what was the inspiration for it, but it was mm -hmm. inspired by Shining Rosemary's Baby, and this is the IMDb pitch. Tortured by the memory of a childhood trauma, a woman returns after a decade to her family's fly-in hunting lodge to assist her siblings with their dying father, only to find herself stuck in a life-threatening nightmare. Starring Sinead Grimes-Beach, Gil Bellows, and Kenneth Mitchell. Sounds sweet. Sounds sweet. Yeah, Sinead Grimes-Beach, who you may know, um, I, I remember her, I think she's on Degrassi, is Jennibel Heath, and it's the Heath family has this resort. Mm -hmm. The father is played by Gil Bellows, who is the standout of the movie. Mm -hmm. He's a very good actor, and the, he's not in the movie for very long. But his scenes are so strong that it resonates. He's scary. Dude is, dude is legitimately scary. All right. Um, and he, it, it, it's helpful that he is, because the movie itself... It is a thriller. Mm -hmm. It's very low-key, I would say. It's fi it's a thriller that is filmed... It's supposed to be psychological horror, almost. Yeah. It's filmed more as a drama, I would okay. say. Okay, so the thriller part, it, it, would, it wouldn't be uh, as, like, uh, obvious of an atmosphere, right? Does it seem, no. Does it read more like a family drama with, like, yeah, dad might be with, a little bit more scary than, you know, we think dad is? Or is it straight up, like, you know... Well, it's, it's, it's that Jennibel is losing her grip on reality. And uh -huh. to spoil it a little bit, she does. Mm -hmm. uh, the ending of it, it's, it's sort of, the movie that this reminded me of the most was Cure for, the Cure for, a Cure for Wellness. Okay. Remember that one? You see that one? Dane DeHaan, Jason Isaacs. Mm -hmm. um, Dane DeHaan's been, like, he's been selling me on his bad movies lately because I did also find Valerian kind of enjoyable. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's not talk about Valerian, which I actually did find enjoyable, but everyone hated. It, it, it's a silly movie. Yeah. It's like, that, tonally speaking, was kind of what would have been better if Suicide Squad was. Anyway. To avoid going down that road, though, yeah. Blood Honey and A Cure for Wellness have this weird similarity in that they're both about this uh, 
city, uh, this uh, a city slicker, in this case a family person, in Cure for Wellness, no family connection. Okay. But going to this isolated area, a isolated resort, really. Mm -hmm. In Cure for Wellness, it's like a spa in the Swiss Alps. Here it's a, a hunting resort in northern Ontario. Mm -hmm. Always, like, you need mm -hmm. the backdrop of a forest somewhere. Yeah, and they want to get in and out, but they keep getting stuck there. Mm -hmm. And eventually their grasp on reality deteriorates due to the sinister side of a product there. Mm -hmm. In the Cure for Wellness, it's the water. In this one, it's the honey at the apiary they have. Mm -hmm. Because in a Cure for Wellness, spoiler, uh, another spoiler, Cure for Wellness is very not easy to follow. So spoiling it, yeah, okay. well, you will. In All Cure right. for Wellness, there's eels in the water that if you drink their juice, you'll live forever. Eel juice is the sinister side to the water, which is the health benefits of the spa. The apiary produces honey. There's also a poison batch of honey, which the father uses to kill critters and gets used to poison Jenabel. The poison, the honey causes hallucinations. The movie's not bad for for what it is, mm -hmm. but it is not, it's not exceptional. It's not incredibly good. And there are, there are points where people are really trying. The cast, I'd say, is is pretty good. The cast, yeah. as one review said, was overqualified, <laughs> I, which I, I think is a little uncharitable. I think that they, they're making good use of what they have, but there mm -hmm. are points where the budget doesn't really come through, okay. especially on the effects for the bees. But that, that's, like, the only – that's, like, hard to do, especially with, like, an indie movie yes, budget. Yes, bees are hard to animate. Like, yeah, think about The Wicker think, Man. People think bees are easy. Bees are hard. no. No, like, like, think about The Wicker Man, which is a movie that had many oh, times... Oh, man. <laughs> not the bees! Yeah. Not the bees! I did mumble that to myself in the theater because there is a not the bees scene yep. in it. Uh, and sort of, not the bees scene. Bees are used as a weapon. And with the movie, like I said, it's written like a drama. Yeah. And there are elements of a thriller. There's one scene that is deliberately intending, trying to invoke David Cronenberg. Okay. With, like... With honey involved, mm -hmm. I don't think I can describe it any further without like a, a weird like Cronenbergish monster, but with honey, right? No, 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 oh, okay. no, no monster, just no Cronenberg people, monster. people being weird, weird, weird about a normal thing involving. There's a sex scene where people are slathered in honey. There you go. Okay. Um, and then there was a lot of questions about that. There was a talk back afterwards with Copas, and there was mm -hmm. a lot of questions about it. Well, you know, why mm -hmm. did he do it? Well, invoke David Cronenberg. Ah, it does work for that. Like it was. Okay. Probably the strong is probably the strongest scene there because okay. it was unsettling. It's something you can feel. Yeah. And there are points to it that I think would work better as, like I said, as a drama. Yeah. Especially with the Gil Bellows character because he's not a character who seems to belong in a thriller. Mm -hmm. He's not a villain. He's just a bad person. He's just a bad the, dad. The character. Gil Bellows is a very good actor. Yeah. And... The father character, you mean? Yeah, that, that's the father he's playing, and it's just, it's 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 very okay. Okay. If you want to see a, a thriller, a Canadian thriller, it's out. It's available. It's uh, Copas was actually Jeff Copas, the director, as well as Natalie Brown, who played uh, <laughs> Natalie Heath, who was the the mother. She uh, she was around. Oh yeah, I left out an important plot point. Uh, Jennabelle's mother, that's Marvin, Gilbella's character's wife, commits suicide okay. early on in the movie. And, and that's when I... Jennabelle's about 12, and that mm -hmm. affects her very strongly because she hallucinates her mother. Okay. And that she's, that's not the only character who's hallucinatory. Okay. But that is the most notable one. And she was very good at it. So Natalie Brown and Jeff Copas both joined uh, the people from the theater. There were about 10 people in the theater when we saw it. 
for some drinks afterwards at the beer craft in mm-hmm. um, where's the Camby Street, and it was very nice. Answered a lot of questions about the film, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was good to see. But I, I I stand by what I say. Like it was it's he made a very okay film. Okay, in the case people are kind of interested in the premise, uh, is it still running? Blood Honey. Blood Honey was, I believe, just the one night. But ah, if you okay. want to check it out, it's um, it's 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 a good Canadian film. Mm-hmm. If it, you want to go check it out, I'm pretty sure they have their own website. They, they might have like mm-hmm. you know uh, yep. more limited runs. So if you're interested, uh, Blood Honey by Jeff Copas. Jeff Copas. All right. And uh, we're gonna just have a word from our sponsors, and then we'll have an interview with Radhika. Agrawal is she is she in Fringe? Radica. Yeah, she is. She's in Fringe with an arrangement of shoes. Really, really interesting uh, story. I'm very interested in uh, seeing it. A lot of her shows have sold out, so if people are interested in Fringe shows, again, Hip Bang, Catherine Ferns, Radica Agrawal, please check the website because a lot of these shows have unusual times. You have your tens, twenties, thirties, forties, that kind of thing, like an like an eight forty show for uh, Catherine Ferns. So please do check your times and don't be late. They won't let you in if you're late. All right, let's see what she's got to say about it. Wrong one. Hi guys, welcome back to the Arts Report. My name is Ashley Park and right now we are with Radhika Agawal. And your show, which is an arrangement of shoes. Can you tell us more about the show? Absolutely, sure. So the show's called An Arrangement of Shoes. I'm from London, UK. And the way in which... Well, it's a beautiful script, first of all. It's all about a family in an Indian railway colony. It's written by a fantastic playwright called Abhishek Majumdar. He's written work that's been produced all around the world now, you know, the States, the UK, and he lives in India and is based there, but his work's travelled a lot. We were lucky enough to find the script back in 2010. By we, I mean myself and a very close friend from university who's also who was a theatre director called Maya Foa, and we read it, fell in love with it, and then thought, let's workshop it a bit. And then it was a devised process by which we came up with what we have today, which is kind of a one-hour edited version of this script, which was a lot longer with so many themes running through it. But it was a wonderful process to go through. And in our one, it's a one-woman show performed by myself. And our storytelling device is just comprised of some shoes and a shoe rack. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to travel with. And were you familiar with the history behind the show at all? At the time that we found the script, it had never been performed before. Um, so I was familiar a little bit with some of the content matter because I've got a lot of family in India that live there. I've travelled by train. I'm a bit of a train geek, in <laughs> fact. <laughs> so I love travelling by train and, to be honest, any other form of public transport. But trains are trains and boats are my favourite, I think. But this is all set in a railway colony in a town in northern India. Mm-hmm. I follow Indian politics a fair amount so a lot of the themes within it it's not very heavy-handed at all with any of the politics in it but it does have mirrors to things and it has mirrors to things that are really relevant now as well which is why we brought it back this year being 70 years of fringe but also 70 years of partition since India and Pakistan. Could you tell us more about that for people who are not you know familiar with the historical content? 
Well, sure. So in 1947, Gandhi, through a very long independence, peaceful independence struggle with many other people from all different faiths, all different, you know, groups, they got independence of India mm-hmm. and Pakistan. In the sort of 1947, the British leaving India part, a line was drawn in two places. So Pakistan was born, India became the Republic of India, and what is now Bangladesh was then East Pakistan. That only became Bangladesh in the 80s, actually, when mm. um, that's a whole other history. So anyway, many at that time, many Hindus that were then living in Pakistan mm-hmm. moved into India, and many Muslims that are living in India then moved to Pakistan. However, India is and always has been a place of many, many faiths. There are actually um, more Muslims in India than in Pakistan today even it's a huge country with I don't know 1.5 billion people or whatever it is now so there's a really huge amounts of different groups of people all over Mm -hmm. India Christians and huge communities of Buddhists Jains Mm -hmm. Muslims Hindus of course so I guess in this the reason I'm mentioning this is because in this recent wave of populist politics there have mm-hmm. been attempts to redefine India's narrative as if it has always been a Hindu country which couldn't be further from the truth and I'm not this play is not about that mm-hmm. but that's one of the reasons it feels relevant to me now is this kind of idea of how we define the space we're in who has the narrative over it yeah, that's actually a really important topic, especially to bring here into Canada, which is considered to be you know multicultural. But you know what exactly is the makeup of what we define Canadian to be? I think that's a really important piece that you're bringing in. And you said that you, when you first saw this piece, I believe you said 2010. Is that right? It is. Yes. What actually made you go, "Wow, I need to perform this"? Reading it. (laughs) (laughs) That's always good. That's always good. Was was there a connection to the character? Was there a connection to the theme? What really drew you into going, I need to make this into this, like, one-hour show? So I suppose it did... I didn't, you know, read it and say, right, this needs to be a one-hour show. Mm -hmm. What happened was... So there's a a writer's network in London called the Young Vic Writers and Directors Network. And what happens is scriptwriters might send scripts across for feedback... It might be in an early process of their writing process just to see, you know, what comes back. Mm-hmm. So my friend Maya at the time was working as a director. She came across this script and she said, Radhika, I want you to read this. So I read it and we both just thought it was an incredibly beautiful piece of writing. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a conception of what it would look like on a stage mm-hmm. at all. So we started workshopping it and then through a process of probably, you know, a few weeks, we had various ideas and we thought right we could do this as a one woman play shall we try and explore that so we were in conversation with the writer and he was very encouraging and we premiered this work back in 2010 in London Edinburgh Exeter and traveled with it a little bit we, we did our run back then but then it's sort of come back again now it's been in my mind for a while just because I'm, I'm still in love with the writing but I thought well you know this year being 70 years it feels so relevant politically again mm-hmm. I'd heard about the Canadian fringe and had always wanted to come here and thought Vancouver as you said you know this kind of these questions that we ask about what it means to be x y and z you know Mm -hmm. and i thought vancouver is such a place of so many diasporas i'm sure the audiences here would enjoy it so that's the kind of then later decision making going yes i want to hey there 
This ad caught your attention. It also caught the attention of the coolest people from Squamish to Bellingham. Music fans, students, and members of various cultural communities. If you want your ad to do the same, advertise with CITR and Discorder. If you've got a rad new ad or just something you want to share, whether in print, on air, or online, promote your wares, services, or events with us. Contact us at advertising at citr.ca or call 604-822-4342. Visit citr.ca for rates, information, and packages. This is the end of our ad, and if you're still here, we must be doing something right. Did you do really well in a first or second year course? Want to make a difference in the UBC community and school communities around the world? Join Students Offering Support, or SOS, and become a tutor today. Math, accounting, economics, psychology, engineering courses, French and Spanish, statistics, and more. If you aced it, Students Offering Support wants you to help other students ace it too. Check out ubcstudentsofferingsupport.com for more information. And welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm your host, Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark. We are still here, still in unceded Musqueam territory, and still carrying on with this show. <laughs> really, we, we, we just started up again like 40 minutes ago. So that's Anyways, still... <laughs> anyways, you're listening yeah. to CATR 101.9 <laughs> FM. So what's next on our list of stuff, Jake? Well, so Ashley, you like MOA, right? I love MOA. I like them too. They're a good alt-rock band. Oh, oh, wait, the Museum of Anthropology. Yeah, they're good too. <laughs> Uh, last Thursday, MOA had an event called Night Shift, which was a very interesting event, a very fun event, feature, uh, centered around voices from the uh, Asian community in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And there was a musical slash poetry set uh, opening for, mm -hmm. the, for it and two comedians. And the, uh, the, first, the first thing, the opening set, was called Philippine, uh, Philippine X. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, oh, no, sorry, this, she's identifies as Philippine X. Her name is Kim Wardle. Okay. The, so, I'm sorry, I misread my notes. Uh, and she did a mixture of spoken word poetry and very powerful singing. She's good at it. It was sort of almost a Lauren Hill type thing. Like, have you seen the MTV Unplugged uh, for Lauren Hill? Yeah, I know. Kim Wardle is great. I, I actually yeah. really love Kim Wardle. Yeah, I, 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 just, I uh, stumbled a bit there. She mm -hmm. opened, and so she set the bar pretty high. And uh, Julie Kim was another comic there, and she actually closed the show. Um, and that was, uh, have you heard of her, Julie Kim? No, I haven't heard of Julie Kim. Tell me, tell me more about her. Well, what? she was one of two comedians. The mm -hmm. first, uh, the one before her was Ash Dewan. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ash Dewan is, uh, they're, and Julie Kim are both, uh, they're both uh, Asian. Uh, Ash Dewan is of Indian descent, and Julie Kim, I believe, is, uh, is Korean. Mm -hmm. And they, they both did very, very, they were good routines. They were funny. Uh, I, I actually laughed uh, at one point kind of uproariously during Julie Kim's routine. Whoa, an uproarious laughter from you, a chuckler? Okay, not really uproarious, but like... Okay. <laughs> it was a louder It was chuckle. also in the Museum of Anthropology, so the acoustics are really good. <laughs> yeah. Like in the, that main anteroom with the totem mm -hmm. poles. So that was... Uh, it was a very good set. She had the main comedy set. And the MC of it was Tetsuro Shigematsu. Did I pronounce that correctly? <laughs> Yeah, you did. Uh, he um, one hour photo. Yeah, that's uh, his. That is an ongoing show actually about the Japanese internment, mm -hmm. and it's it was a a chilling segment of it because it's it's a chilling topic, 
and he delivered that. Like, it was very interesting because he used one of those little GoPro cameras on the stick that adjusts itself. Okay. And uh, that's um, all in all, as a show, that capped it off. Yeah. Almost exactly. Like it ran the gamut of tone because it started with this very dark, with this dark but also very theatrical tone with Kim Mortal. Okay. And then it had Ashton Wan and Julie Kim bringing out the, this comedy. This was very funny. Humor, grounded humor. And then it went into the same grounded but also very real and jarring. Almost, Would you say almost like haunting in a way? It it, it was haunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it was deeply well. I, I of course it, it's still yeah. like a history that affects people today. Yeah. It was, um, it, what is, I'm trying to remember where the one-hour photo's being stayed. I'm sorry. The Kulch, that's it. The mm-hmm. Kulch. Like, you can see it in full. It seems like a really haunting show. Mm-hmm. And it, it works, it worked well as a finisher. I don't think the whole show would have worked well because it would have been just too dark mm. to, for the for the tone of it. Like, ca- counterbalancing, like, the comedy about, um... Like about uh, driver about uh, driving in Vancouver, for example, mm-hmm. versus jarring story about Japanese internment. Like, mm-hmm. I, there's a certain point where that juxtaposition doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. I, I think, would say. I wish I really, I kind of really wish that I was there to uh, watch a night shift because I feel that I would resonate a lot with it. Because as an uh, Asian Canadian person, you kind of um, have. A, uh, you kind of have like a little like joke bubble that you kind of like force yourself to like fall in love with like uh, all these like jokes made at the expense of your ethnicity that kind of thing but at the same time you want to reclaim it in a way and also not forget some of the horrific stuff that uh, a lot of like Asian uh, people uh, faced when they came here like the railway for example a lot of Chinese immigrants mm-hmm. and the Japanese internment so I do get where you're coming from all of a sudden it's like hey look at this Asian people can't drive or maybe that's just your racism talking hmm? who knows humor to like and now like this history about my ancestors and how they were you know put into like camps well for me like I, I was watching this this is something that may be different from seeing like a lecture on this mm-hmm. I never felt like as my demographic like white guy mm-hmm. like oh shit this is my fault. Like, I never never felt that way. I'm like, okay, this is a very bad thing mm-hmm. that happened regarding Shigematsu's uh, entire thing. Like, uh, this is a very bad thing that happened. Yeah. But there was no point where he cast aspersions. Okay, I see. And that was something that I, th- I, I that might have just been the segment, but I think that the show is very much about understanding the event. Mm-hmm. So as, in part, to, to one, to acknowledge it, to heal, and then secondly, more, more likely, and I think this is... To prevent it from happening yeah, again, of course. Which he, one should be able to take for granted, but mm-hmm. in, in this world of ours. And this is this was uh, last Thursday. Yep. It was a free event uh, for, really good. for UBC students, yeah. and I, there was a small admission otherwise. And on Thursday the 28th, which is next, no, not next Thursday, the Thursday afterwards, mm-hmm. there is yet another event, which is MOA Soul Night. Oh, nice. MOA's yeah. been doing a lot of cool events that I think people should check it out. Like, people yeah. kind of don't remember, like, where MOA is. It's a little, like, it's a little bit kind of enclosed it's by kind trees of out of the way. and whatnot. 
But yeah. they have really great stuff coming. What do they also have in terms of their uh, night shift programs? So night shift was just the name of this individual one. Okay. Like it's the special Thursdays of which Soul Night is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I want to say this, like night shift wasn't just like a sit down event. There was like a DJ in, the, not in that same room, but yep. there was an ante room where you could go for uh, for some coffee or some mm-hmm. drinks. Like, it's like an entire museum sort of event? N- uh, you could go through the museum. I think they let you did, they did let you wander through the museum if you mm-hmm. wanted to, but there was the ante room to the sides on the right as you go Got in, it. and then the great hall that's right there. The DJ was great. Name, name is Jeff. He was spinning some great disco <laughs> records. Like there was, it's a great thing when you can hear "Easy" by the Commodores. Uh-huh. Like you know, like yeah, I know, I know it's cliche. It was in, it was, but it was in the Baby Driver soundtrack, man. Like yeah. that's full of deep cuts. It's a great song, mm-hmm. and that's just one example. That's why I'm personally looking very forward to Soul Night. Yep, and that is not next Thursday, but the next next Thursday. Yes, that is correct. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Mo Mo's pretty great. Like they've been selling me lately. Yeah, they have a lot of cool stuff. They're really uh, ready to get engaged with the community, and I hope that everyone who's listening, go check out the MOA. Speaking of community engagement, this is one thing I just realized, is that there is yet another event on the 21st, which is Thursday, September 21st, which is next Thursday? Yep. Is it it next Thursday? Yep, it is. Yeah, that is a... uh, well, it's Traces of Words, Rethinking Script Through Interactive New Media, mm-hmm. which sounds like it could be a course. Registration is required for that one, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking, like, it's it's uh, in conjunction with Traces of Words, Arts and Calligraphy, that's all, folks, Calligraphy from Asia exhibition, which I think seems like a very interesting show. You do have to register for that, however, so just take that into account. All right. Sounds good. That's next Thursday, 5.30 to 8.30. Yeah, sounds great. Sounds great indeed. And before we close the show, there's another thing I want to see, you know, sort of like, sort of, well, I did have to pay for this one, but uh-huh. it was the first concert I've seen in a while. Uh, okay. It was Benjamin Booker at the Biltmore Cabaret. All right. Can you give us a little bit of like a short uh, bio on Benjamin Booker for those who don't know? Well, Benjamin Booker is a, uh, he's been around for about five years. He's mm-hmm. a, an artist. He's, I think, based out of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. He has a very energetic style. We'll play one of his songs uh, later to play out. Uh, but he uh, he has a very energetic mixture of blues and punk rock. Okay, blues and punk rock. Something that you kind of don't see together. But if you well, think really hard about it, it works together. Uh, yeah, they, they, well, they do work together because yeah. um, he's like he does this very driving guitar work. Mm-hmm. But he also has this really rough voice when he sings. And he does not like if you look at pictures of him, he's he's really handsome and clean cut. Mm-hmm. But his voice sounds really growly and jagged. It's often hard to see, hear what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's he. Uh, it, uh, some people have compared him to Howlin' Wolf, but I think he reminds me a lot of uh, the singer from The Heavy. You remember who that was? Do you remember The Heavy? You know how you like me now. Yeah, but I don't remember the singer's name from The Heavy. No, I, I actually don't. I, I I'm trying to remember. Uh, was it? Let me just look that up real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Swaby. Kevin Swaby. Yeah, <laughs> sort of, sort of like that. Uh, oh, maybe a little deeper in the throat, but that's mm-hmm. uh, similar to these vocals. And he's got, he does have this. It was a great show too. There was an intern opening act called She Keeps Bees, okay, who w- had this sort of also bluesy sound, but more like blues rock, like sort of the heavier, simpler style of psychedelic rock, kind of mm-hmm. like uh, maybe a more stripped down version of Iron Butterfly, not quite at Led Zeppelin, not but like late '60s mm-hmm. sort of thing. Their singer, uh, she was. Quite good. She did a very political song about Donald Trump because I guess, I guess you kind of have to. Uh, and that was, I want to say, 
about it was like these were longer songs. These were about yep. five six minutes, mm-hmm. and there was a definite debt to Grace Slick and her vocals too. Like she's mm-hmm. they've got that great sort of heavy dreamy blues vibe mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. like late sixties rock. Not quite prog rock, but getting there. All right, sounds great. Let's uh, hear and a this b- guy. Yeah, you can check out their uh, their albums. You can definitely check out Benjamin yeah. Booker's new album, which is Witness. Uh, let me just see if I can play that song. It's uh, got this. There we are. Oh, yeah. Guitar! And that was Violent Shiver, which is from his first album. His second album, Witness, just dropped. You can check that out, too. That was the song that got me into the guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, sounds really great. Yeah, both albums are solid. They're full of energy. They're really, like he's, he's said before that he's not really a blues singer, but that's it's, it's a mixture of blues and punk rock. Like, that's a lot of guys from the MP3 generation. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of uh, musicians, you know, like King Cruel comes to mind, just often take the bits and pieces of genres that they like. Mm-hmm. Like King Cruel likes Elvis, post-punk, 90s rap. Like that's what comes through with him. Same way Benjamin Booker is a guy who probably listened to Muddy Waters and the Damned, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, well, that's about wraps it up, isn't it? I think that's a pretty good way to end the show. Yeah, I think so, too. Again, there's a lot for people to check out. Um, there's The Fringe that's still happening until the 17th. Check that out. And... Of course, uh, check out UBC Slam, check out the MOA, check out everybody that we talked about, and we will see you next Wednesday. All right. See you next Wednesday. I'm Jake Clark. I'm Ashley Park, and please listen to CITR Radio 101.9 FM for more awesome content. Cheers, folks. The world is a better place because of Kim Kardashian's empire, Cheetos, fleece material, and Discorder. It's a local, independent music magazine from CITR. Which means that we can print whatever we heckin' want. Album and live show reviews, interviews with artists, and sweet illustrations grace our pages. And even you, listener, can contribute. Just visit citr.ca backslash discorder backslash contribute. You can grab it around town or read it at discorder.ca. Forever local and forever free. 